0: Let's go ahead and pray, and we'll get into our study. Thank you, Jesus, for your word. Thank you that it never turns back void. Thank you, Lord, for the account of the people that we get to read about and and just how you teach us through your word, Lord. It's so rich. And when we really take time to sit at your feet and listen through your word, Lord, about you, God, there's so much in there, Lord. And so in this short moment that we have this morning... Just ask, Holy Spirit, that you would just uh, write upon the fleshly tablets of our heart through the word, that we wouldn't miss out on what you have for us today. Just thank you and give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, we're going through the book of Romans. And today we are in Romans chapter 6, verse 1 through 14 is where we'll be. And I'll go ahead and read those verses, and then we will... uh, break it apart and see how God wants to teach us through his word. Romans chapter six, verse one. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we should also live with him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lusts. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. Let's pray. Jesus Again, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the life that you give us. Thank you for Paul and his steadfastness and how you changed his life and that you used him, Holy Spirit, to give us this letter, Lord, that we get to read today that was written to the the believers in Rome, Lord. Just thank you in Jesus' name, amen. So to see what the context is for verse one of chapter six, um, we kind of have to go back into verse five. You know, remember... When, when the Bible was written, it was on a scroll. It didn't have chapters and verses. And a lot of times the thoughts can be continual between the chapters. And so we see here, I'm going to read the last two verses of Romans chapter 5 to gain context of Romans chapter 6, verse 1. Romans 5, verse 20 through 21 says this. Moreover, and it's not on the screen, so you have to read in your Bible. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So Paul, um, he writes out answering this question because people could, if you you stopped only with verse 20 of chapter five, you could come to the conclusion, well, if sin abounded and grace abounded much more, then for grace to be abounding even more, shouldn't I sin more? That's the question that arose and why Paul writes this. What shall we say then? Shall, in verse one of six, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? He's posing this question. And in other words, where sin abounds, the grace of God abounds over and greater than sin. Shouldn't we sin even more so that grace is even greater? And his answer, which we should know this as Christians, certainly not, emphatically, no. How shall we who died to sin in verse two of Romans six, how shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? So there's this emphatic, no, we are not to continue in sin. Paul sets the stage for the next verses by posing this question. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? If as a Christian, you're dead to the power of sin, In other words, what Christ did on the cross destroyed the power of sin. How are you to continue to live in it? And we're going to really kind of look at today is it's an identity issue. What is your identity? Is your identity in your past? Is your identity in what you can't do? Because as we go through Romans, we continue to learn what is imputed or placed in a Christian or given to a Christian by the power of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. We are given over and abundantly more than we could ever ask or imagine. And it's not physical, it's spiritual, it's supernatural. It rewrites who we are. It, it destroys the, the thinking that we, should ha- that we used to have and starts rewriting the thinking that God really intended human beings to have, which really was all the way back in the garden have a pure and righteous and pure walk with God and not have sin in our life. Because we know we covered the last couple chapters that when Adam sinned, he brought sin and death. Death was a consequence of sin, okay? And, and we, we covered last week, you can't get away from it. It's, it's, it's a real thing. Death is real and, it, and it's because of sin. And so, <clears throat> but that's why in, in, in Romans 5.20, where it says, but where sin abounded, Grace abounded much more. In other words, the grace of God through Jesus over and exceedingly abundantly covers over what happened with Adam. It's an amazing thing. And so that's why we're gonna get into today of what our identity is in Christ. It's so important for us to understand who we are in Jesus and who he is for us and what we actually have as ownership We've been given a title through Christ. We're his children. We're his heirs. Heaven is our destiny. Verse three of Romans chapter six, Paul continues, says, or do you not know? And this is where he kind of poses the question to the believer. Do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Traditionally, like I mentioned before I started this message, In Paul's time, when you became a believer in Jesus Christ, you were usually baptized right away. And we know that a baptizing is for a believer and that it's from death to life. So when you go into the water, it's symbolism of Christ dying, being buried and rising again. And we take part in that. We align ourselves with what Jesus did, his death, burial and resurrection. Not to stay buried, but new life, right? That's the point of it. You're telling the public, hey, I'm publicly representing what the inward transformation was in me. When you become a Christian, the Holy Spirit comes into you, you are given new life at that moment of salvation. And so Paul's telling them, hey, look, when you were baptized, weren't you baptized into his death? In other words, he starts painting this picture of of the identity that the believer has in Jesus. And baptism is one of the commands Jesus gave. Matthew 28, 19, Jesus speaking, go therefore make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. That's where we get that statement when we baptize people. And it's a commandment that he gives to believers. It's not a, you know, well, you know, maybe. Because when you follow Jesus and he's a part of your life, God draws a line in the sand. You're either for me or you're not. You're either gonna live for me or you're not. Like he starts putting some lines in our life and like, hey, this is what my standard is. Okay. 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 Lord, I'm ready to serve you more. Okay. Now you're going to publicly declare that you're mine and I'm yours and your life has changed. It's an amazing thing. And so Paul's saying, look, weren't you guys baptized into his death? Like, didn't this really happen? Like I mentioned, it was a mandate for all those that have decided to follow Christ to be baptized. And I had already gone over, you know, that's an outward public proclamation of an inward transformation. But in the fact of baptism, one is associating their life publicly with Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. And so Paul's saying, look, okay, so if you have this question, hey, we should sin more so grace should abound. Well, he starts getting into this. Okay, so if you baptize and you're baptizing the death of Jesus, now he gets into, well, what really happened with Christ when he died on the cross? Verse four, therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we know that it was the Father, God, God the Father, that raised him from the dead. Even so, we also should walk in newness of life. So though you, okay, so so you're associating yourself with the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus. Paul's saying, look, you need to walk in the newness of life. So in other words, he's saying, this is yours. We as believers have newness of life because of Jesus. That is our identity as Christians, newness of life. It's pretty radical if you think about it. And the whole chapter of Rome, the whole book of Romans is about the gospel. And I love how Paul just uncovers all these questions that people have. And, it's, and he goes down to the common denominator of what really is going on. And the common denominator as a believer and even as a non-believer, it's always Jesus. Whenever you have a conversation with people of other religions bring up Jesus who is Jesus what is Jesus who is he because the last thing the enemy wants is somebody to believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven and that they need to make him the lord of their life that's why every other religion except christianity points to something else besides Jesus and so paul's focus and it's always Jesus and so we see here what we're to associate life. paul's telling in verse 4 the readers of this letter look you believe in Jesus You have been baptized through baptism. You have personally associated yourself with Christ's death. Christ didn't stay in the grave. He he was raised from the dead. And if this is the case, which it is, then we should walk in the newness of life. And so my question is, are you walking in the newness of life? My question for myself this week as I studied, am I walking in the newness of life? Am I living in the identity that Jesus gave me when he died and was buried and rose again. In half the time, it's no. And what should happen in my life is I should bow myself and humble myself before God and beg for mercy and grace to be able to be like him and be able to live like this. Because it's foreign to me and it's foreign to you because we're not naturally this way. We're human beings that have this flesh and bones and this sinful nature But we'll start looking at that too, the sinful nature. What what happened to the sinful nature on the cross? Again, an identity thing. Verse five, for if we have been united together in the likeness of his death. Now you understand the flow of language here. He's literally saying that you being united with what happened when Jesus died, okay? It's not, oh, you know, I think I'm gonna hang out with him. It's like this, he's saying this, okay? And it's important that we receive that because that's what God is telling mankind through his word. That when Christ died as a believer, you were united with him in his death. Because what, what, what caused him to die? It was our sin. When Christ died, he didn't die to die. He died because of our sin. There was something that happened historically supernatural when Christ died on the cross. Sin was crucified, our sin. Not, oh, you know, the sin out there that those people do, not mine. Mine's less sinful, right? No, the sin of the world. And so Paul's uncovering this. Look, we have been united together in the likeness of his death. And I love that we don't stay there. He goes on and says, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. I want you to think about that. Death is final. It's a final thing. But with Jesus, it wasn't. And if we really look in the context of what Paul is saying for the Christian is that, okay, so together, united in the likeness of death. If that was a, the case only, then that would have been horrible. But certainly because we're in the likeness of that baptizer, resurrecting new life, that, that also we shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. So this starts to unfold as an identity thing. You and I need to identify with the what and the who we are through our relationship with Jesus Christ. It's so imperative as Christians. If we don't let this identity be the foundation of our life, we will fall apart in this world, okay? We will start following after all sorts of doctrines. This is our identity. The word of God needs to dictate how our life is. And I love this because I read this and I see verse five and I'm like, wow, Lord, because I know who I am. I know how rotten I've been in my life. I know my tendencies And yet God still gives me this. And this pairs with the grace part too. I said this last week, I'll say it again. I've said it many times before. My old college uh, pastor, when I was in college age, Tony Magana would say that we have barely begun to scratch the surface of the depth of God's grace towards us. I don't think we'll ever really comprehend it. And it's there for us. And so Paul's saying, look, the likeness of his resurrection, this is yours. Verse six, knowing this. In other words, knowing verse five, look at what we get. That our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. It's so freeing and so radical. And this part where it says old man, yeah, I'm 50 today, okay, that's not saying your age. The old man is Adam, the sin, the old nature, the, the, the vile, destructive, lying, conniving, deceptive. God's word says that our heart inside of us, I, this bothers me all the time. And sometimes I'm too critical and straightforward, but people like, oh, he has a great heart. I go, well, technically the Bible says that um, our heart is desperately wicked beyond recognition. In other words, you have no idea the depth of the wickedness of your heart. And it says only God knows. So that should put us in a position, okay, well, I guess I'm just helpless. Well, yeah, we are helpless without Jesus. But we see here though, what happened at the cross? This is radical. This is why the song rugged cross was written. This is go to Isaiah 53 and read what happened with Jesus that his stripes healed us, that his wounds healed us. He willingly went to the cross. He willingly wore our sin. And this is what happened on the cross, that the old man was crucified with him. Do you see that with him? It wasn't God hanging on a cross by himself because he wanted to display something radical. It was our sin literally with him that bled out and was crucified and his blood covers that. And so that we can have newness of life. I am so overjoyed that the old man is dead because when it raises its ugly face in my life, I can go back to this and say, this old man's dead, God help me. And you need to do the same. And it's in the minutiae of that, that we start relying on the power of the Holy Spirit and that our relationship with God becomes experiential because there's nobody perfect sitting in this room and there's nobody perfect standing in this room either. And we need Jesus and we need to let the word dictate our identity and dictate our thinking. So it's amazing what we gain. In verse seven, it says, for he who has died has been freed from sin. We know that when Christ died, he abolished sin. So if we were crucified with him, if our old man was crucified with him and that the body of sin, and it might be done away with because it, it, the body of sin, there's still sinful people. It didn't destroy it, but that it might be. In other words, it's an option. In other words, God said, here, I did this for you. Now come and receive what I did. That doesn't mean that we're actually going to go do that. There's people in this life that will never receive Jesus, that will sit in church for 25 to 40 years, that will give money to things that are godly and never receive Jesus. So Jesus took care of sin, but it still lives in this world. But the power of it was destroyed. The bondage of it was destroyed for Christians. When we receive Jesus, we're no longer under that bondage we're no longer under the control of that before we give our life to jesus we are absolutely under the control and authority of the sinful nature because jesus is the defining line so our old man like i mentioned refers to adam i did this i'm I, I'm, I'm reading through all of my notes memorized i guess i don't want to reread things <clears throat> So like in verse seven, we see that the one has, that has died literally has been freed from sin. Verse eight, now, if we died with Christ, Paul continues, says, we believe that we shall also live with him. Do you believe that? Sometimes that's hard for me to live in because sometimes I'm so caught up in me that I don't live in who Christ has made me. And Paul's saying here in verse eight, look, If as believers, as believing Christians, now we understand that our old man died with Christ, we can now take ownership of that, right? And because this is true, we should believe that we will also live, excuse me, with him. And in verse nine, it says, knowing that Christ, knowing that Christ having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. So now we're switching gears from sin, right, to death. When Christ was raised from the dead, the power of death was done away with, proving that it did not have dominion or control over him. The grave cannot hold him. Now, what's amazing is that we receive that as well. When Christ died, he destroyed the control of sin, the bondage, the power of it, and he destroyed the power of death. Okay? God designed all mankind to live forever. Okay? Death is odd to us. We're not wired to do that. It's not really. It's just odd to us. You know. But this old body that I have one day will be put away but my spirit that God gave us, all of us have a soul, whether a Christian or non-Christian, there's a soul inside of every human being because God designed all people to have a relationship with him. Unfortunately, when Adam and Eve decided, well, decided to disobey God, did not trust him at his word, um, that relationship was severed. And then as human beings, we're born without being connected to God spiritually. And we're born as sinners. We're born into sin. And so like I've told people before all the time, you don't have to train a child to be bad. There's no, I, I didn't have to train any of my kids to disobey me, they just naturally do it. But I have to train them to not disobey me. So we all have this sinful nature. But I love this, that, that in verse nine, that, that knowing that Christ having been raised from the dead dies no more. So in other words, death no longer has dominion over him. It's amazing. When Christ was raised from the dead, the power of death was done away with proving that he did not have dominion and control over him. I already read that, sorry about that. Verse 10, for, death, for the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. One commentator on verse 10 writes this, the death that Christ died, he died to sin's claims, its wages, its demands, its penalty. He finished the work and settled the account so perfectly that it never needs to be repeated. Christ's work on the cross, it was finished. It was done. It was a done deal. And it's important for us to understand and to think about this. If I'm taking part in the death of Christ, being that my sinful nature was, has been crucified on the cross of Calvary, we like to think that, right? Yeah, man, my sin was taken care of. Then shouldn't I literally live with him as well? In other words, shouldn't my life have an identity of a life that is alive with Christ as one risen from the dead. That's where our joy comes from. Our joy set before us. Paul said, it, it, heaven was his joy. I, I, I literally, you know, we literally are people that, that have been forgiven and that death does not, is not an option for us. We get to reign with Christ. We get to be in heaven We will be, we will see him face to face as Christians. Oh Lord, and this is, as I was writing this out, I thought about this. Oh Lord, forgive me for not making this my identity. The identity of a dead man that has been freed unto life. That's so radical. It's the most radical thing. We can try and be good. We can try and be moral, but we can never accomplish what Christ did on the cross for us. It's the most beautiful thing ever. The question now should be asked, okay, so if I'm freed from the power of sin and death, they no longer have dominion over me because of Christ's death on the cross and because of his resurrection from the dead. How does this apply to my life in a practical way? What does this look like? Because, you know, we, none of us physically witness any of this. We don't, how does this apply to us? Well, the, the following verses in Romans chapter six from 11 to 14 talk about the application in our lives. Paul says, likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin. In other words, you need to really accept that you, your life is dead to sin, that, 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 that you uh, are dead to this. But Alive to God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. In other words, you need to wear it. You need to own it. I reckon, I get it. I understand it. I receive it. It's part of my life. It's my identity. See, because of verse 10, you also must consider yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So because of verse 10, for the death that he died, he died to sin once and for all. That's speaking about him and what he did, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. So it's speaking about what Christ did. And then Paul writes, the Holy Spirit allows him in verse 11, because of that, likewise, you also, it switches gears. It goes from pointing to Jesus to pointing to us as Christians. You also should reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Again, it's like this. What Jesus did on the cross is death, burial, and resurrection. The Bible, the Holy Spirit, God, the Father, Jesus Christ himself is saying, look, you need to own this. It needs to be part of your life. We need to read this at face value. This is a literal thing that Jesus did. Jesus literally destroyed the power of sin. He literally destroyed the power of death. As Christians, he literally imputes that to us. It's us that choose to go and walk outside the guidelines when we want to go sin." And I'm not saying that any of us are gonna ever live a perfect life. You know, Enoch walked with God and he was no more. That's it. Through the thousands of years, I don't see anybody else doing that. That's a whole nother mystery. But the radical thing that happened with Jesus on the cross and what we received, this identity that we need to wear, that we need to reckon, that we need to accept and live in and be reminded of. That's why sometimes you'll hear me say, You know, the gospel, the gospel, we need to preach the gospel to ourselves every day. We need to be reminded every single day that Jesus died for us, that Jesus sets us free, that Jesus took care of the bondage of sin and death in our life. We should be preaching the gospel to ourselves daily and reminding ourselves how amazing that Jesus, what he did on the cross for us individually. It needs to be our identity. Because then when it's in our identity, and we had men study yesterday, you know, for breakfast and, 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 and Art was talking about his work and people ask him at work, well, why are you so happy go lucky? And Art's like, because of Jesus. You know, you talk to Art and he's always, I'm blessed. He's blessed because he lives in the reality of what Christ did for his life. And I'm not saying like he's the poster child, but when I'm around people like that, I gravitate. I'm like, wow, that's great. This is, it's an example. And we're to be that example to those around us. And you may be thinking, well, you know, how am I going to do this for this person? Or my work environment is, you know, people are sinful and do this. Live your life as somebody who is this, freed from sin and death. Let the joy of the Lord mark your life. Let the fruit of the Spirit be something that actually is evident in your life. And then people will take notice and don't stop praying. Pray unceasingly and spend time in the Word and watch what God will do. As we point to Jesus and follow Jesus and let the word dictate our life and change our life. And as we press into him, all the other concerns start falling into place. And if they don't, then it just means that he's using it to hone you more or to be more like him and to press into him more. And that's what we, as a Christian, that's what we get. God doesn't change everything in our life. We have issues and things and life is difficult, you know? But back to the context of here. Verse 12, therefore do not let sin, I'm sorry, Paul starts getting into, okay, so in verse 11, if, if, if Christ died to sin, okay, you need to reckon yourselves that your sinful nature is dead. You're alive, but alive to God and Christ Jesus our Lord. So this is who you should be. And then we say, and, and then he start, and then we see in verse 12, therefore, in other words, because of verse 11, this is what you need to do. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. So we see here in the first part of 12, it's a choice. We can let sin into our life, okay? Unfortunately, you know, we'll pay the consequences for it, you know? God's word says it sin's pleasurable for a season, but in the end it's death and sometimes it's physical. We can, you know, realign ourselves as Christians with something sinful and the Holy Spirit is quenched and we have no more life in our walk with Christ and we become a lukewarm Christian or a dead Christian. Yeah, we might get to heaven, but our life has no marking of Christ at all in it. So verse 12 says, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies, that you should obey it in its lusts. So we see what is that word lust? We really associate it sexually sometimes, but really it means something that dominates and controls without any barrier. Think of animal instinct, okay? I got chickens and dogs in my house. They have no emotional or thought process whatsoever on how they act. They're just animals. Think of it that way. There's no, it, it just does what it wants until it's satisfied and then it's never satisfied and it keeps doing whatever it wants so that's what that word lust really means to go after something without any barriers and to always want it without any satisfaction and that's what if we let sin reign in our mortal bodies that's what it'll do and we will obey it pastor that i was under for years used to say you have a white dog and a black dog as a christian your black dog is the sinful old nature and the white dog is the holy spirit christian your life as a christian you just need to feed a crumb to the black dog and all of a sudden it's out running out dictating your life we need to starve it we need to starve our sinful nature if there's habits in your life stop doing them if you don't know how get somebody to be a part of your life to help you that's what church is about Gene and I have been doing ministry for many, many, many years since we got married. We've been married 17 years this year. We started out as counselors in a Christian group home. Right away, our first year of marriage, we became counselors with kids in a level 14 group home. And I've watched through the years that when we partner with people in the failures of their life, there is hope. As Christians, we are so programmed nowadays to show up at church... It's so sterile and we sit as entertainment and we don't get in the nitty-gritty of our lives and we sit there and we try and white knuckle it through the issues of our life and then we have no re- we have no restoration. I don't know why I'm saying that. Maybe somebody needs to hear that today. But but in 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 life we need to live the reality that we are set free and that we need to work in our our salvation out with fear and trembling. And, and, and in the body of Christ, God calls us to be with each other. I have accountability in my life. I have to talk with people and say, I need your help. You know, I don't know what my mind's doing right now. I don't know how to, how to get out of this. Oh, now I know why, because of uh, verse 12, not letting these things reign in our bodies. So we don't want sin to reign our mortal body. Paul is saying that you should obey in it's less. Don't do it. And if you need help, find somebody to help you. God's word says that the uh, prayer of a righteous man availeth much. After service, we're going to have communion today. But if you need prayer, please let us pray for you. Don't leave without being prayed for if there's something the Holy Spirit's like, you know what, I need prayer. Verse 13, and do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness. He continues and he unfolds this. Look, okay. Don't let sin reign in your mortal body. Don't obey in its lust. Now he gets to the nitty gritty. Don't present the pieces of your body to unrighteousness. Don't, don't, don't give it over to that. Again, the responsibility is on us. Christ destroyed the power of it. Now Paul gets into what the responsibility is as us, as Christians. Don't present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin. I love this though, but... Present yourself to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Serve the Lord. Get involved in ministry. Clean a church. Pick up dog poop in the yard somewhere at the church. Sorry, it's kind of weird. We have cats that love the dirt out here. That's probably why I said that. It's nasty. But seriously, though, We as Christians are to give our lives over to God. We're to give our life over to these things. We're to give our life over so that our body becomes an instrument of the righteousness of God. Isn't that amazing? We were dead. Now we're made alive. Okay, don't go do the things you used to do. Now present your body to things of righteousness. It's an amazing thing what we get. It's amazing. Serve God with the life that he's given you. Verse 14. Wow, we're already at the end. For sin shall not have dominion over you. Isn't that great? That last verse. Can you guys read that out loud? For sin Sin shall not have dominion over you. It's a proclamation. Isn't that radical? So do you see what he did here? What the Holy Spirit allowed Paul to say, to do, Christ took care of it all. Okay, it's not your responsibility. Never, we could never take care of it. What Adam and Eve did, they brought in the world. We can't take care of it. We can't reconcile ourselves to God. We can't reconcile what sin did. You look at the Old Testament through the Israelites before Christ died. They had to, they sacrificed one animal. No, they had to continually do sin offerings for hundreds of years, even the ordination that God gave man to honor him and to prove that blood was required for the sacrifice of sin, man's job never accomplished what God could do through his son on, on the cross. And so... We go through this process. And so, okay, so that, and then your identity, you identify that your sinful nature was, was destroyed at the cross and that you identify with that. I have new life, the new, the new man, the old is gone, the new has come. And then you're to live your life in a way that you don't give yourself over to sin. So, but you're to give yourself over to the righteous things of God, to, the, to, to as your, your body as instruments of righteousness to God. And then Paul just ends it out. For sin shall not have dominion over you. Do you know what that word dominion means? Authority, control. Think of, yeah, okay, I'm not going to give any other examples. It's, it's authority and control. Those that don't have Christ, sin has dominion over them. As Christians, we are set free, literally from the dominion of sin. So we should present ourselves as a way of righteousness instead of ungodliness in our lives. I love this. Paul ends this, you're not under the law. You're not under law, but under grace. You're not under the condemnation of the law. The law condemns sin. Okay, grace is unmerited favor. The law is you're failing. (laughs) You can't accomplish these things. So at the end of this, it's amazing what we gain. And I'm going to leave with this, and then we'll have the worship team come up and we'll do a song, and um, <clears throat> I encourage you, if you're a Christian, take communion today, but if there's anything in your life, any sin issue, you need to get right with the Lord. Um, this is paraphrase, but in you know, Paul wrote to the Corinthians, their church was in disarray, and there were people that were, they would have these love fests not it's and they they used to be like a fellowship thing and then it turned into a debauchery and they were sinning and taking communion and some of them got sick and some of them died because of God's displeasure with it and so God's really serious about our life and us being right with him before we take communion because we're remembering what Jesus Christ did on the cross for us and so <clears throat> I'll read through some scripture pertaining to that before we take communion but during the worship song please come up um grab the elements i'll open it now i'm going to end with a word here though real quick um when the the last song is played you can come up and grab the elements and go back to your seat yeah they can come get the elements while while you're playing this song as you feel led by the lord but i'm going to leave with this oh sin where is your rule oh death where is your sting For at the cross of Calvary, the precious blood of Christ destroyed such things so that a sinner such as I might walk in the power of new life. What Christ did for us, our identity in him, it's radical. It's mind-changing. It's life-changing. And we need to wear it. And we need to own it every day. It's just a great reminder. I love how practical this piece of scripture is. Let's go ahead and pray. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you that it never turns back void. Thank you for how you love us. Thank you for how you take care of us. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for knowing each and every one of us how to bring conviction of sin in our lives. Thank you. Thank you for that you are our helper. Thank you, Father God, for allowing your son to die for us. And thank you for using people like Paul, who was a murderer of Christians, be radically changed to be sold out for you and give us life for you and to be used by you that we might be able to learn about you and hear from you thank you lord that your word never turns back void that it's alive and that it's your word not paul's word but i'm thankful lord that you if you could use paul you can use us lord may we uh just sit at your feet lord in this song and Just thank you in Jesus' name.